Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time zone you're in, and hello to all the listeners out there. And from what I understand, based on all of my guests' cell phones. We've got a lot of people out there listening to the show today. So what happens when a rabbi, a reverend, and a swami walk into a radio station? We are about to find out. And I'll tell you, I've been working on that line for quite a while now. It's been a dream of mine for the longest time to have these three people sitting in the studio with me today. I was driving down Main Street in Sebastian, and there is a sign on the church board because you know i happen to love church signposts they're just awesome the stuff that people put up and it said there are some questions that cannot be googled so i figured that they are talking about the question about god and faith and what do those really mean and we're going to explore that in the next hour today in my book what would a wise woman do i devoted one whole chapter to questions of faith and my journey to get there and one of the things that i realized was that the journey to god is not an intellectual one it is a heart one And once you place God in your heart, it becomes an entirely different question with an entirely different set of answers. So hopefully by the end of the day today, you perhaps will have a whole new outlook on God and faith and your own heart. So let me introduce our three guests today. First is Rabbi Michael Bernholtz. He is the chief rabbi at Temple Beth Shalom in Vero Beach. I love how he just laughed when I said that. He came here in 2002 following his ordination from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. He's been here for 10 years. And what I love about Rabbi Michael is his spirit. We're on the board of the Post Chapel at the hospital together. And he just comes out with stuff that is always so appropriate to whatever is going on. And he feels that he's so proud to be part of the vibrant and meaningful life of his congregation. It is all about opportunities to teach and preach Jewish values and wisdom. But what I've noticed is it's more about preaching God and showing people how to get to God. My second guest is Swami Durgadas Hutner, and he was born in Pennsylvania and migrated to Florida because he had discovered Mayaya who had founded Kasi Ashram here in Sebastian. And I met him in California, even though he is my neighbor across the street from where I live. He is a martial artist who actually has a fifth Don master's degree in Taekwondo, and he trained for the 1988 Olympic Games. And one day you and I need to talk about that some more. Um, He was ordained in 1996 by Yaya as a Swami, which is selfless servant to humanity. That is just so cool. I never knew that that was what Swami meant. Um, In that capacity, he began teaching and mentoring younger generations about mindful meditation and service to others. And he's been trying to get me to meditate for as long as I've known him. And I have difficulty. So I promise you I will get over there and get better at it. He is the CEO of Kashi Foundation and works locally with agencies to serve those in need. And he has developed Kashi's real estate and overall master plan. He knows that nurturing a healthy mind, body, and spirit is the way to live fully. And then our third guest today is Reverend Dr. Casey Garrett Baggett. Um, She joined the staff of Community Church of Vero Beach in 2004 and serves as their executive minister. And she also writes a really wonderful column for the paper, which I read every single time that is out there. Before coming to Vero Beach, Casey worked in the areas of behavioral research as a chaplain, as a consultant in bioethics and spiritual ministries for a national health care organization. 
She has served as parish pastor in the Minneapolis area. She has a BA in psychology and a master's and a doctorate in ministry. She has a master's of divinity. She has completed additional training in clinical pastoral education, bioethics, and spiritual guidance. Um, Between the three of you, I think we have a pretty good basis for talking about God today. What do you all think? So welcome to we're, my show. We're all nodding, which doesn't do well on radio. <laughs> radio. And, you know, I always laugh. So now you're a radio and, you know, you have to speak into the microphone so those out there can listen. Although we are planning on getting cameras in here so that we can actually broadcast and have video when we're doing the show. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for being here. So here's a first question I want to pose to the three of you. Um, all three of you come from very different practices of faith. We've got Judaism, we've got Christianity, and we've got an interfaith community that has a little focus on some of the um, Hindu philosophies. How did you actually get to where you're at in your practice of faith? Let's start with Rabbi Michael. Well, I grew up in Mississippi. That's why I have the deep southern accent. (laughs) Um, And I've lived long enough in Florida. I don't even say y'all anymore, and it's really kind of upsetting me. Um, But my – I grew up – my father was actually a rabbi. He was the rabbi in Jackson from – Jackson, Mississippi from 1973 to 1986. And so I grew up very involved in a Jewish community while I was there. Um, And my father's now been in Tampa at a – Reform Congregation, the rabbi at Reform Congregation in Tampa since 1986 and has been one of my mentors. And just as I was growing up, being involved in Jewish community, being out in the out in the world, um, hearing Jewish stories, seeing Jewish values, and it was something that was very natural to me. And there are moments where I wrestle with, is this the right story that I want to tell? And then there are moments where that's exactly the story I want to tell. And when I say story in terms of Jewish tradition, in terms of rituals, in terms of artifacts, the ways that you can use Judaism to take care of the world or in taking care of the world, I gain a deeper understanding of Judaism. So you came from a family that had a long tradition. Yes. And I grew up in the Bronx, New York, and we were the only Catholic family in the Bronx. I had the Hanukkah bush. I really didn't quite understand fully what was the difference because to me everybody was just, oh, we're all just practicing whatever we're practicing. One of the things that um, I loved when I – first time I ever saw you at your congregation was at a bar mitzvah was when you were up there speaking and when you were talking to the individual people, you, you know, you talked about you weren't sure about the story and sometimes you go back and forth, the peace mm-hmm. that came off of you which I don't always get from people in religious practice. I don't always get that solid piece to it. What do you attribute your piece to? P-E-A-C-E or yes. P-E, okay. P-E-A-C-E. I just, there's, that is one of the um, core places of Judaism, that there's a sense of shalom, of wholeness, completeness, and peace, that there's a harmony that's out there that we can sense, that we can feel, and that we are supposed to strive towards. And I really see all kinds of ways, whether it's little things or big things, that we can create those moments of peace. This morning I was out, and I, one of the things I do is a lot of gardening, and I was out going to take care of something 
uh, one planting one pot that needed to and I looked up and I saw that there had been a cotton – one of my cotton bowls had opened and I realized that that cotton plant, that that bowl was, was planted by a group of Torah tots, a group of toddlers a couple of months ago and here I am now picking the next generation of that and we'll be able to use that cotton in our – in our uh, wicks that we use for Shabbat lights this coming Friday. And it's just to see those moments where we don't even realize where we can do something in the world and touch someone's life and bring a little bit of light or a little bit of caring. And that's when I'm able to teach and make those kinds of connections for myself and for the people I'm working with. It's an awesome thing. I love that. I I love the sustainability of not only the practice – but something very visual in front of you, something very concrete, the plant. And that's a perfect seg into Swami Durga Das because Kashi has created this whole sustainability um, with trying to bring new agricultural methods in addition to everything else with that whole connection with nature. So, Do you, how guys, did... do you guys have chickens? Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> You're going to have to get over there. Um, so, Swami Durgadas, how did your journey begin? I mean, it's not a more traditional one. Well, I um, I met in Ma, America. Put it that way. Yes, um, <laughs> originally from Pennsylvania, and Ma Jaya was teaching in New York at the time, and I met her. And when I met her, I was about ten years old. And uh, in hindsight, all I remember was Ma just touching my heart and my heart opening, and that sort of just led the my spiritual journey for the rest of my life and uh, much to the tune of bringing peace to one's heart so it can be shared on the planet and that's what ma has always drilled in me taught me and um it's been a blessing and and sometimes a challenge to live that path as best as i can every day kashi is a representation of that um all faiths welcomed and all all religions it's a spiritual community but all 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 ways are accepted and it's about being kind to each other and to others past and others beliefs and uh that just always has driven me to strive personally to grow and serve others as well as myself and, well, i i love that because so far the wording I don't know if any listeners out there have noticed it. There's a lot of similarities. Well, that's that's the beauty of heart-centric faith is that really it's about being united, being one with God. And uh, that's the beauty of having the four of us in the room and then all of your listeners. Hopefully that's the – that is the piece when you sort of feel that together. Now, you – because of Kashi and Mayaya, it, it's a little different than, say, a, a Jewish faith or a Christian faith in that you moved on to the property, your family moved on to the property of the ashram. You, you live there in a very communal style living, although now people are building some of their own houses and homes there. Your family's there. You're raising a, a child there who's My only a few who's years old three now. three in September and... It's such a blessing to raise her in that loving community, and, and that's uh, it's a total blessing. And obviously, welcoming you all and anybody because uh, I love it's. T- I take pride in showing people around and and having sharing Kashi. Yeah, the property is just <clears throat> gorgeous. So, um, Reverend Casey, 
how did you get on your journey? I mean, you and I have spoken a number of times. I've read your articles, and it's about heart as well. But share your journey. You know, it's interesting listening to the two of you speak, and I find commonality in both stories. And I guess, you know, as I'm thinking, there are a variety of ways to tell one's story. Um, my history is, is a little different. I grew up in a, um, I would say, nominally Christian family, but we did not um, go to church. We weren't even, as we jokingly say, sometimes C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter attendees. We, that wasn't even the case. I was um, schooled by my um, very thoughtful parents uh, about the importance of respect for others, um, the dignity of each religious tradition, its contribution to the world of thought, um, but was not necessarily encouraged to practice it on my own. And when we come back from the commercial break, we're going to talk more with Reverend Casey Baggett about her journey and how she got there. We'll be right back. We are talking about what happens when a rabbi, a swami, and a reverend walk into a radio station. And I, I just wish that I recorded the break because the it's conversations all, it's are all, always... It's all about the questions. It is. It is totally all about the questions. I want to thank all my listeners out there. Before the show, I happen to check, and we are still a top podcast on iTunes for eight weeks now. So we're in the top 50 podcasts on iTunes for eight weeks. So thank you all. And please keep rating and reviewing the show and tweeting out at, at the Laura Stewart. Tell us what you think about the show. Tell all of your friends. So Reverend Casey, we were talking about this journey that you had and it didn't take the traditional route that you would expect um, a reverend to take. Maybe not. Um, as I think about it now, though, I suppose you could say I was something of a forerunner for a trend that is becoming more and more common in the United States now, which is for uh, people to be less affiliated with their traditional religious bodies, their religious institution. Um, so we were, as I said, nominally Christian, but my family didn't attend services, was not um, observant in any way of Christian practices. But the interesting thing was I, when I had friends whose families were more observant, and I, I would like to spend Saturday nights on overnights at their house so that they would take me to church in the morning. I really enjoyed that. And I quickly came to see that something very serious and significant to those families, to those individuals was happening that wasn't happening in my life. And I um, wanted that for myself. And I think that set me on sort of a journey of, inquiry that has um, broadened and deepened across the years. So it's interesting. We've talked about heart repeatedly, and I am absolutely um, in favor of saying heart is an access to understanding God. But for me, mind was also an important access. Um, and so it's been, it began as, I think, an intellectual inquiry. How, how can we understand what's happening? What why are we here? Who made us? What are we about? Where are we to go? Um, and that deepened for me into heart and hand into into practice as well. Yeah, it was similar for me in that I, I love questions. Gee, does that surprise anybody listening? And all of a sudden one day I realized I could ask questions all day long, but it had evolved into something more. It literally was like something had stepped into my heart and uh, – Swami Durga Das, what you had said about your heart opened, like Ma had touched your heart and it opened. That's what it became for me. All those questions I asked led me to this moment in time 
where my heart could open and allow in what that was. And, I mean, we're coming up on Star Wars time, so, yes, the Force was with me. But what was the Force for me was God. Well, well no, and Casey, I'm hearing you talk about going to, to having the sleepover so you could go into church on Sunday morning. Um, and Durga Das, you talked about that moment where you met Ma, and I was – and uh, it's kind of a question for Casey. It's a question for all of us because I'm also thinking about one of the moments that was powerful for me growing up was going to a Jewish summer camp. I was in Mississippi and there were six kids my age in the whole city that are Jewish in Jackson, Mississippi. And then I would go to Jewish summer camp in Utica, Mississippi um, where the, the they're very small Jewish community. But we had a lovely Jewish summer camp. Where there I am with all of these other Jewish kids in a very in a completely Jewish environment, which was different than what I experienced at home for four weeks sleepaway camp, and I remember there was one Shabbat morning, one Saturday morning, we're out at a at um, at services, we're in a little amphitheater um, chapel, and we're doing the service, and we're singing a song Eli Eli, which is actually a poem written by Hannah Senes, who was a victim of the Holocaust, and it has this moment where it says. Um, the Eli, Eli, O Lord my God, I pray that these things never end. The sand in the sea, the rush of the waters, the crash of the heavens. When we hit rush of the waters, it had been like this humid, still Mississippi morning. And then there's this giant breeze just comes through. And everyone just stopped. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I am too. Everyone stopped, looked up at the trees swaying in the breeze, dropped their heads down, and we just kept singing. And it was one of those moments where it's like, Something just happened. We knew something had happened. We all knew something had happened. It was really powerful and incredible and a spiritual moment where we're all singing and something else heard us and responded and we're all then singing together. And I'm kind of curious of do you did you have some of those moments where it went from, well, no, I'm going with friends to church to wait, there's something more than it's it's both intellectual, it's spiritual. There's something more here that I want to pursue teaching or preaching or experiencing this. I think I wanted congruity between <clears throat> my mind, my heart, head, heart, hand. I guess I often sort of summarize it that way. I wanted to live in the way that I thought that I felt. And um, that's been a Wait, goal. Wait, I wanted to live in the way that I thought that I felt. Wow. That I, if anybody's got Twitter handles, because for <laughs> some reason my Twitter does not work in this studio, that needs to be tweeted. Say that one more time. That was so beautiful. I wanted to live in the way that I thought. That I felt and that I, that I felt. I wanted them to be congruent. And I felt there was too much um, division often. I, I could compartmentalize sections of my life. And I wanted them to be um, more unified and more demonstrative of something of underlying goodness. I mean, you talk about the, the breeze and feeling part of that and in conversation with that. I wanted to live in conversation with the world around me and with underlying reality. With God, and I think that's been a driver for me in my faith formation, and um, in my education, and I and I still find the intellect uh, uh, an important avenue for me, but not exclusively so as a way to uh, feel an access to God or an understanding of God. That's that's beautiful, Swami Dara. Casey also spoke about inquiry, and it's um, I always one of this a holy man always talked about who am I. It's about spiritual inquiry. It's about knowing who one is. And uh, and Laura spoke about practice. To me, unifying that heart, mind, body, spirit together is key. 
and bringing peace, stillness to one's moment, whether it's the breeze that does that, however however that comes, is so important to the self-inquiry part, the who am I, so you can be quiet enough to know yourself, hear yourself, feel yourself, and then also how do I practice to be in those moments as often as possible and then the rest, the world, life tries to distract you, whether it's whatever, whether it's tearing up floors or, or you're driving here and you're in traffic, all those opportunities to be distracted from that moment of stillness are the practice. That's why I keep telling you, Laura, you have to meditate five <laughs> minutes a day, sit still five minutes a day, sit by the river five minutes. It doesn't matter where you practice, but as in anything you do, you want to be a martial artist, you got to go and practice. You want to be a tennis star, you got to go and practice. You want to be a spiritual being, you got to practice. Maybe the practices are different, but the fact is you need to practice. All right, well, we're going into uh, the, the news break right now. So you have about four minutes during the news break to start a practice of connecting your mind, your body, your heart, and your hands to something bigger than you out there. So I encourage you to do that. We'll be right back after the commercial break with more. All right, so I'm having a really hard time not laughing out loud because Rabbi Michael was just talking about Kung Fu Panda (laughs) during the break and how it really relates to um, a lot of things. So can you – would you mind sharing a little bit about that thought? So we were were having a conversation talking about um, when you're dealing with toxic issues, when you're dealing with things that are challenging you or struggling, the Yiddish is surus, stuff that makes you feel pinched. Um, and especially even with caregiving, when you're caring for someone, when you visit someone in pain, Jewish tradition teaches that you take one-sixtieth of that pain with you. And um, Reverend Casey and I were talking about doing hospital visits, and they try to – the one of the things they say is like you don't let the pain in, but you can't. And I talk – one of the things I teach a lot of is that um, there's a Jewish tradition of Tashlich where um, on Rosh Hashanah, on the first day of the year, you go – to a body of water where there's flowing water and fish and you're supposed to take the breadcrumbs and lint that's in your pocket and throw it away. You're getting rid of the stuff that builds up and it's a beautiful spiritual practice and your sins are supposed to go into the bread that goes into the fish and the fish process it or something like that. But it's the how do you take that stuff that you don't want to need to carry around and how do you let it go or that led me back to Kung Fu Panda um, or you Kung Fu it. And, and I'm not the martial artist. I'll be the first to admit. But there's that image that when you have someone that is throwing energy at you or something is throwing en- energy at you and Durga Das, please tell me if I'm off on this. But you don't absorb the energy. You deflect it around you. Is that pretty good? Very well said for and a the, non-martial artist. Thank no. you. And there's this uh, – it's Kung Fu Panda 2. You have to be specific. But there's this scene where he's balancing a drop of water and just moving it around his hand and not letting it fall apart, not letting go of it, but just being able to balance that energy around him. And it's a it, – sometimes when we have that stuff, we have to learn how to throw it away or we have to let not just, just let it pour onto us but balance it around us or move it around us or not absorb it. And that's that's a common theme in every religion that I've studied, and I've studied a lot of them. They just put it in different ways. You have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur coming up, the highest holy days, which is a lot of letting go, forgiveness, um, 
balance. I think there's a lot of balance in those services. And standing up and taking responsibility for it too. And I, I love that part about it, the taking responsibility. So, so uh, Durga, Das, how would you talk about that in terms of your traditions? Is there a similarity in your traditions with those ideas that Rabbi Michael was just talking about? Very much so. It's don't want to leave the Kung Fu Panda image too quickly. Because <laughs> oh, it's, no, it's you have perfect, to go there. It's a perfect humor. And having a, a almost three-year-old daughter, um, we, we watch that. You know, she gets into it and watches it. And every time I watch it, I think of all those lessons in humor that are there. <clears throat> but I also thought about that letting go, whether it's the fire or the image of allowing one to take your pain, your fear, Whatever it is that's holding you back, you have to do something. And recently a friend of mine um, said the image of Mother Kali was actually portrayed on the Empire State Building recently in the last few days. And just explain who Mother Kali is for those who might not. Gonna. um, (laughs) Mother Kali is this black mother, sometimes misunderstood as darkness and evil, but actually she's this beautiful, benevolent mother who is so dark, she absorbs any of your fear, negativity, or pain. And it's, She's not the image in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of She Doom. is the image, misunderstood, Good. you know, because you think you have to, in fact, you're looking at yourself. You're looking at your own darkness. And how do you allow that darkness to be taken from you, burned from you? Anything that's ego or negativity, it's got to be taken from you. And uh, you have to allow that too. You have to practice letting go of that which holds you back from yourself. And uh, it's also in the image of martial arts, there's the opposites, the yin and yang, the mother, the male and the female. And sitting here with two lovely mothers and ladies mm-hmm. is how do you, how does one as a male, I, will, I was always blessed to learn and practice how do I touch the feminine side of me? How do I know? Because we're both, male and female are both, both. We're trying to balance that. And um, having that divine mother who just loves you beyond taking it from you, that's the image of Mother Kali. And uh, sitting in the studio with two lovely ladies is beautiful. Thank Mm. you. He's always such a smooth (laughs) talker. So, Reverend Casey, um, you know, I'd like you to talk about these things, but there's another thing because of what um, Swami Durgadas just talked about, which is coming from a Catholic tradition, women don't have a role in the leadership of the religious practice. I, I tend to come from more of a, you know, it's less about going to a service, although I'm missing something right now. I'm missing that community, but I'm having a hard time with the structure. And, and here you are, a leader in in your church. So how do you speak to that with what we were just talking about in Kung Fu Panda and balance <laughs> all of that? Oh, my mind is going a hundred directions <laughs> with these questions. I, if I can comment first just a, a bit on the continuation of this notion that, oh, please do. <laughs> that there is um, hardship or evil or um, a pinching sometimes that impinges on us from outside that we need to know how to handle, to deal with. And um, do we sort of shrug it off? Do we? How do we do that? I think in my tradition, there's also the suggestion that 
we don't need to fear it. That um, even if we allow it in kindness, in graciousness to penetrate us, um, it doesn't ultimately hurt us, if that makes sense. There's a uh, sort of a, a spiritual power that, that is available to us through the grace and love of God that allows us to be present to people in times of terrible need, allow us to feel it, be with them, care for them, and yet it needn't overwhelm us. So um, I think that's related in many ways to, to what each of you were talking about, maybe phrased slightly differently. And you, you asked about the feminine notion here in religious practice, and particularly in the history of Christianity, how that has played out. My own particular denomination was the first denomination to ordain women in the United States, which is really nice to know. I'm proud of that. So there's been a long history of that, but as you are as you know, quite rightly, there's also been a long history in Christianity of, of not, um, there, there has been leadership among women, but not sacerdotal leadership, not in worship, um, for a whole host of reasons that we could go into. Um, I think it's a wonderful time now for um, being a woman in religious leadership in the Christian tradition. It's more and more common. Um, seminaries in my tradition are over half uh, women now uh, as students. Um, the predominant um, gender among professors in seminaries now in my tradition is female. So, you know, it's just an, it's an interesting thing. I don't find it to be a problem. Um, I serve in a church where there are two male clergy and myself, well, and then, I'm, well, two male clergy and myself. I'll leave it at that. And I hear repeatedly from, particularly from women, that they're glad I'm there. And I don't think it has only to do, or primarily to do with me personally, but the fact they'll say to me, you know, my daughters have a model of uh, a woman in leadership in, the, in their religious lives, and that, that matters to them. And, and I know uh, Kashi, you know, Ma, obviously founded it. She was, she was a woman from a Catholic, from a Jewish tradition. Born who to a Jewish family. Jew- Jesus. And then had an experience in Christ and... That's what led to the interfaith and have a, has a guru who is Hindu per se. So, but uh, yeah, Jai Ma to the to victory to the mother. I mean, if we can even, I mean, I, that's one of my passions is mentoring young men who have to tap into that feminine side, even through a martial art where maybe in Taekwondo, which is my star, style of martial art, which might seem or portray a little more violent, but you still have to get to what Michael was saying, that softness and um, it's you, you have to face that, whether it's fear or whatever it is, you have to face that with softness and love. And that would be not with your mind. You have to sort of face it with your heart, those obstacles that, that show you, teach you, allow you to grow. It's, it's, it's wonderful. My, my adopted father was born to a very strict Catholic family, and he, when he, he was gay— and of course, early, long, many years ago, um, he passed away a few years ago from cancer, but um, he wasn't necessarily accepted by the Catholic Church at the time because he was gay. And yet, when he met Ma, he got his religion back because it was all, Ma was, she is, the she's a matriarch. How do you bring the mother, not necessarily from the religious, but from the spiritual, so... So, Robin Michael, you were nodding your head with I, I, all of this, which doesn't translate to radio. 
Yeah, we have this. I, I was saying it was kind of hard as three, act, four active listeners in the room nodding their heads at each other <laughs> as they're doing to me now. Um, we really have to get those cameras in here. So, I, Casey, you were talking about um, fear or awe and embracing it, and it's interesting because we're coming up in Judaism. We're coming up on on the days of awe and the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and suris. I was talking about the pin, the pinching is a different word. And the holy days in Hebrew are the yamim noraim, the days of awe. And that word awe is yira is has to do with shaking and fear and awesome. And it's not a negative mm-hmm. term. There is some um, overwhelming of the of the sense of self, mm-hmm. but then there's also an empowering of the sense of self. And that was such a it's to hear us have the conversation and to say, wait. I'm, I'm not thinking of Yura. I'm talking about Surus, which is the Egypt, the bondage that we're holding us back, that we have to go through the Red sea, the sea of Reeds in order to get to Mount Sinai to have the experience of awe. And it's uh, hearing the different stories and then how do you – how where is it with each of our different traditions and how do we understand these terms and talk about these terms? I want to give a shout-out to Patricia Knoll, who kindly tweeted out the uh, tweet I asked somebody to do, (laughs) which was, I wanted to live in the way that I thought I felt. And she also tweeted um, this wonderful comment, let go of ego and negativity. That was another one that was so beautiful. Um, Going into our, our last commercial break, I mean, we've talked about so much here, and I don't even know how to finish the rest of the show because there's just so much great information here. Um, Reverend Casey, just so listeners can find you and reach out to you if they want to talk to you more, what is the best way for somebody to to reach out to you? Probably our website for my church, which is Community Church of Vera Beach, and it's um, www.ccovb.org. Okay, say that a little slower. www. Dot ccovb.org. Community Church of, of Vero Beach. Right. Okay. Yeah. Dot org. And uh, Durga. Um, same thing, website, www.kashi.org, K-A-S-H-I.org. And if you live in Sebastian come season, they have this wonderful... Um, well, no. If you live anywhere, come and let us feed you a nice vegetarian meal. Yeah, they really... But if you're in Sebastian, food. you better walk across the street and come... <laughs> <laughs> um, in in season, they also have this wonderful monthly um, fair, market, festival, market, Lokashi Sunday really market. Wonderful, the most deadly cinnamon rolls you could ever all get right, that are all, all homemade. And we're going to go into commercial break, but quickly, Rabbi Michael, how they find you? TBSVero.org. Temple Beth Shalom. Vero, V E R O.org. Okay, great. We'll be right back after the commercial break with more from our wonderful. Reverend Rabbi and Swami. (laughs) During the break, we were talking about um, the chapter in my book. I was sharing a story where somebody I highly respect um, in Canada read my book, and they felt that the weakest chapter in my book was the chapter on faith, that they felt I was a little concerned about not offending anybody in my book. So I kind of skated over some of it. And that's where the root of this conversation came from. And Reverend Casey, you were talking about, you know, the whole offend thing and uh, talk more about that and, and the questions and, and the conversation about sharing faith. I was excited for this um, interchange today for the possibility of 
uh, what's here in this room. I mean, each of us is deeply committed to our own tradition, but I will state firmly, I think each of us is all also deeply committed to hearing respectfully um, about the importance of the tradition to uh, a different tradition to, to, each, to one another. And I wonder what the world could be like if that same sort of respect was a little more portable. I, I think it's hard to achieve. Um, you offer it a, a venue for us to experiment with that here. And I wish that were more portable. I wish there were um, opportunities elsewhere for really respectful dialogue, listening, caring, understanding the other. Um, you know, we hear so often that it's religious differences that drive violence, that, that drive political drama uh, around the world. And I, I want not to believe that. I want to believe that the religious differences are an excuse rather than actually the underlying cause of those divisions. But might conversations like this help diffuse some of that? I, I would hope so. Either one of you like to... Rabbi Michael? I, it, sometimes it's the conversation and sometimes it's the doing. I remember being out doing the um, Indian River County Day of Service last year and um, there were um, folks from the Mormon community that were had arranged it and they were helping us clean Oslo Road um, down by the the um, boat ramp. And I remember it was just talking with people as we're sitting there cleaning – doing this cleaning up of the, of the world. And it's – sometimes you sit down and have purposeful dialogue and sometimes you're out doing purposeful things in the world and have dialogue while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And both of those are incredible things. I, I've often said to people – but we have that choice to make when we – with religious tradition, we can either use our holy books to whack each other over the head or we can use them um, to um, – the, where I'm learning how you do your religion that helps me understand my religion, that it becomes a way of using our holy books to teach each other not how to do my religion, but I gain insight in my religion from watching you do yours. Mm-hmm. OK. So I, I just want to pick up on something you said. You said do my religion. I don't get from – either one of the three of you, that you do your religion. I get that you live and breathe your religion. And perhaps it's just a wording change for me. You know, I love words as a, as a speaker, as a writer, as, a, as an author. You know, all of that words mean so much. Doing to me implies um, an action that you sort of push yourself to. It's not a, a cellular kind of thing. You do it. You know, like just do it. Push yourself through it. I think of my practice, my faith as – and what I see of the three of you and when I've been to – I have not been to your congregation, um, and I, I will rectify that. I will come by the church, um, is you breathe it. It's who you are. How do, how do you get there? You know. I think but for us, it's, it's, it's both. There are times where you're with God and that pushes you into the doing and sometimes there's the doing that helps you understand and feel connected with God. OK. That's, that's a great, great call. Ra- Rabbi said something before the break and I wrote it down. Sense of self. And it, it, one thing I'd like to say is I think for anybody who's listening, I think we, I could speak for all of us to go, if any one of us could touch another person to sort of begin their journey if they're not on a journey to themselves, learning experience yourself. I would say it doesn't matter what path you take. You said that earlier. It's just get on that journey. And I think it comes right back to serving 
taking care of one another, taking care of yourself, however you do that, mind, body, spirit. It starts with respect and love. And then it's about making sure you're sharing that with whomever you're with in the moment, whether you're at the grocery line or, or taking care of, you know, the street or somebody else's garbage. But it's about it's about caring and love and respect. And it starts in the moment with the breath. And, and sometimes it's in the doing because if you don't have a practice, you have to do sometimes. Yes, I mean that's in Judaism. It's not what necessarily what you believe. It's what you go out and do because if you're fixing the world, making the world a better place, taking care of people, there's the theology might drive it or that drives your theology. The world's going to be a peaceful – if we could all say we all believe in the same thing, that's not actually going to make the world a better place. You actually have to go make the world a better place no matter what you might believe. Okay, there's but, a okay. lasting controversy in the Christian tradition on what matters more, orthopraxy or orthodoxy, what I do, right, right acts or right belief. And ultimately, you can't divide them. Um, if we are learning, growing, deepening our faith, if our belief um, is strong, it naturally, it's the other side of the coin, it naturally results in behavior that's changed. That's orthopraxy versus orthodoxy. orthodoxy. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many great tweetable moments here. I'm going to have to listen to the show so And I brought over. Kung Fu Panda of you all did. the ones I could bring. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you brought so many other ones, that whole sense of self. There are so many other comments I've written here that I'm going to be tweeting out when we bring the replay up on the show. So we have just under two minutes left to the show. Um, very quickly, last thought you want to leave people with, Reverend Casey. That we live in a fantastic era when, particularly in this country, when so much is open to us, a lot of tradition has come into question and allowed us to rethink our own commitments and what a gift that can be. I would encourage any listener um, not to be shy, to forge ahead and find their path. Perfect. Swami Durgadas. And I would say take a moment daily, whether you light a, light a candle, sit by the river, and, and close your eyes and be still. Bring, bring a little peace to yourself and you'll be, help yourself and others. Great. And Rabbi Michael. There's, you're supposed to carry around two little pieces of paper with you. Um, one says, I'm but dust and ash, and the other says that the whole world was created for my sake. Um, I would say but either have those two thoughts that you carry around or find the two thoughts that you need to carry around. We've talked a lot about kindness and compassion and grace and love and all of those incredible values, and I'm big on having the physical with you, and whether it's a stone or a piece of paper or something, have them. So when you need to be that graciousness and kindness to yourself, you see it. When you need to have graciousness and kindness for somebody else, that you see it. It's trying to bring these big thoughts that we feel or things that we think, and how do we bring it into the world? Thank you for being here today and sharing all your thoughts with me. I am eminently grateful, and I hope that to all of you listeners out there, we got you asking some questions about your faith and your practices each day, and hopefully it's opened your mind and your heart to some new possibilities. Tweet out to at the Laura Stewart if you have any questions or if you want to follow up with any of our wonderful guests today. Uh, look forward to seeing you all next week, and remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. 
Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.